filled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who, from the first, were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. And if we turn briefly to Acts 1, so that again, the beginning of now the book of Acts, which we'll read from, verse, from chapter 5. So Acts 1, verse 1, it reads, <clears throat> In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. So Acts 2, so Acts is like Luke part 2. It's like the continuation of part 1, so to speak. And this was, part 1 was addressed to Theophilus and part 2 also addressed to Theophilus. Um, and it says that the purpose in writing it was so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. So this was a, a letter written personally to Theophilus. And though it was personal, I don't think it was a private letter. Otherwise, you know, we would never have gotten hold of it to this day. If it was a secret private letter only for his benefit, we wouldn't see this. Um, but I think it's a letter for each and every single one of us for the very same purpose. You know, to, to come to a certainty and to, so that you may know the certainty of the, all the things that you have been taught. Um, so Luke says that he was not an eyewitness of Jesus, um, but it says that he carefully investigated all the different things that he wrote about. So he was like a journalist. He took a, a somewhat of a journalistic approach to understanding the gospel. So, at some, so even in the book of Acts, not everything that he recorded was from his own eyewitness or from his own account, but he investigated carefully. And at some point in the journey of the apostles, he became a disciple. And most likely he came from a Gentile background, so most likely he was not a Jew. So this was relatively new for him, as it may be for some of us in this room. Um, and he went, he went to great lengths to connect these dots um, and also to expel stuff that wasn't true, I imagine. Um, and all for the purpose of drawing together an account for Theophilus. And though this was written by Luke, one thing about every single word in the Bible that we have to really remember is that it was written by man, but it was completely inspired by God. Every single word of it. So Luke put it together, but he was led by the Holy Spirit. Um, and though, again, though he was not an eyewitness, he was able to put together this for our benefit. So with good reason. So let's turn now to Acts 5. I'm going to turn there too, as I haven't printed that part. Um, but with good reason, he chooses stories from the first church. So the book of Acts is an account of the first church. Um, and he chooses stories, again, for that purpose that we read about beforehand. And I think this is a great story. And I, as I read through it, it was try, I'm trying to think about, you know, why would you include this story? What significance would this have had for Theophilus and for us today? So let's pick up in Acts 5, and we'll read from verse 17. All right. Okay, so Acts 5, verse 17, <clears throat> it begins. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people 
the full message of this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they had been told, and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail. So, the full assembly of the elders of Israel and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the, office, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported. We found the jail securely locked, with a guard standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were puzzled, wondering what could have happened, or what, what could come of this. Then someone came and said, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts and teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. Having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you, filled, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles applied, replied, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him from a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might give repentance and forgiveness for the sins of Israel. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But Pharisees called Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed them. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, some time ago, Thedius appeared, claiming to be somebody, and around 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, and his followers were dispersed, and all and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. <coughs> Excuse me. He too was killed, and his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in, had them flogged, then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. What an amazing scripture. A part of me, wanted to, I thought it was a bit of a long passage, and let me cleave it up a little bit, but it's such a powerful story. Um, and I can totally see why Luke would choose to include this in, account, in an account to prove the certainty of the things that were taught to him. So imagine you're Theophilus, and you're reading this, and you're, two chapters ago, uh, it, was, it was Peter and John, I think, that were, <clears throat> they too were in prison for preaching the word. And 
they were punished and they were released and told not to speak in the name, uh, not to speak in Jesus' name again. So imagine Theophilus is reading this thinking, cheese again? Like maybe this time they'll say, okay, let's just, let's just stop and let's move on to another town because this is, this is a bit challenging. I, jail was never my ambition. You know, that was not where I wanted to go with my life and so forth. But imagine his excitement as he continued to, to read this letter to see that in fact, an angel of the Lord came and provided for them in their time of challenge. And then the angel of the Lord said, go back and do what, you know, what put you in jail in the first place. And then they ended up in front of the Sanhedrin. And, you know, imagine his excitement thinking, whoa, like these guys were serious. Um, And, you know, the the disciples were in a situation, they were in a tough situation because they weren't called before, you know, a couple people from the neighborhood association. They were called before the leaders of Israel. They were called before the most senior or, you know, the the most highly exalted religious people of their time to answer why they were still preaching the name of Jesus. But they continued. It was a sticky situation. And I can imagine that Theophilus, maybe he himself was in tough situations. Maybe he himself was in an in a, in a environment whereby people are questioning him, challenging him. Because in the time that this was believed to have been written, like around, I think it was about AD 60, um, the church was under a great deal of persecution. And <clears throat> the irony was the most persecution came from those whom claimed to love Jesus the mo- or love God the most, the Jews. So imagine now you're trying to figure out, so you're, you, he was a, most likely to have been a Gentile. So this whole God concept is, or the God of, of the Jews is new to you. And the most religious Jewish people are telling you that's the wrong way. It's easy to have doubts and it's easy to begin to get confused. Um, but yet he sees the passion through which these apostles are faithful to the ministry that God has given them. And that moves me, and that inspires me a lot. Um, but it's easy for, 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 I know it's easy for me to have doubts from time to time, to begin to wonder, you know, it, is what I'm reading really how God expects me to live my life? Am I supposed to make some sort of adaptation of what I'm reading? And there may be lots of things that cause us to get confused or to have doubts and, you know, it could be something minor like a thought or it could be even like a, a family grievance or it could be um, things happening at work and being challenged and making decisions that are contrary to the way that the world thinks but faithful to the way that God desires us to live our lives. Lots of things can cause us to have doubts that Theophilus may have had. Um, and this, for me, is a great encouragement to persevere and to be moved and motivated by the example of the apostles. I'm just going to take a sip, sorry. Mm. Um, but again, the angel of the Lord came to free them from the jail, but the purpose of freeing them wasn't so that they could feel better. Like, I was put in jail, that's tough, like, life is hard, but then I'm freed from jail, so now I'm free. I can go and do as I wish to do. But the angel told them, now go back in the temple courts and continue to preach. I think if that was a request made to me, um, and I'm thinking of that literally in today's day and age. Imagine being on campus, sharing the word and being escorted off by security, and then seeing an angel of the Lord and being told to go back. I'd be like, I can't. <laughs> you know, I'm, I am not allowed. You know, some serious people told me to come off of campus. Um, but to have that boldness and that courage, I mean, so, so they were freed from jail, not for the sake, not for their own gratification or to make themselves feel better, but with a great purpose, a God-given purpose. Um, so, so a question for you guys. If you were a police officer, a policeman or a policewoman, and you had arrested some people 
for, you know, there were peaceful protesters, but you arrest them, you put them in jail. You had some special agents watching the cell to make sure they didn't escape or people break them out or whatever. And then you're on the beat, you know, the day later, and then you see them again. What would your first thought, if not, if not question, but what would your first thought be? I know for me, my first thought would be, how on earth did you get out? <laughs> One. And then my second thought would be, tell me a bit more about this Jesus guy you're talking about. Because clearly, somehow you got out of jail. I had my best guys on the door. And somehow you managed to just walk out and you're continuing to, you're not even hiding from me. You know, how, how audacious is that? So there must be something about what you're teaching and preaching that is of significance. Um, but instead, if we take a moment to reread the, the reaction of the, of the, of the Pharisees, um, <laughs> their immediate response is, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, yet you fill Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. <laughs> so, so imagine we're in this room now and there's just an, a massive elephant just in the back, just, just hanging out. Like, there's an elephant in the room and these guys are like skirting around it as if to say that it's not there. That is the most obvious question that one would ask in such a situation. We put you in jail. We told you to stop teaching in this name. And you're out of jail and you're preaching in this name. <laughs> we did not let you out. You somehow got out. The obvious question is, how did you get out? And if you got out by some means other than by your own abilities to open the door or to kill my guards, because my guards are alive and well, how on earth did that happen? And what does that mean for me? Um, but yet the Pharisees, the Sadducees and the high priest and his associates had a very, very different response. Now, the only reason that you would skirt around such a, a topic is because you're beginning to have doubts about your own personal beliefs. That they had a, the Sadducees had a very, it was like a denomination of Jew, and they had a very clear view of how God worked in their mind. And they did not believe in the resurrection. They did not believe that there was a resurrection. And the idea of these guys being freed from prison meant that everything about their beliefs crumbled. It meant that the apostles' teaching outweighed theirs. And it meant that their influence on the people was zero. But when you love God, is, does that matter? That's the question. Um, so in this situation... Everyone was convicted by the facts. The facts were clear. Um, and, yeah, so in this situation, the facts were very, very clear. And if I was one of the apostles and I was in that situation and I'm being questioned like this, I would say, hold on, hold on, hold on. Before we go anywhere, let's just talk about this whole jail situation because you're avoiding the elephant in the back of the room. And that, for me, would be the best line of argument because it's so obvious and so clear, undisputable, in fact. Um, but let's see how the apostles respond. If we reread, I think, from verse, from verse 29. The apostles respond from verse 29. But, you know, Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead. So they didn't skirt around the, the key issue here. Uh, there is a resurrection. Whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. So it wasn't a question of we're trying to make you feel guilty. You know, you are guilty. And the, the angel said, teach the, the, the full message of the good news. And that they're not holding back. Um, 
you got to appreciate that. Um, so God exalted him to his own right hand and made him prince and savior, and he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. So in the midst of this storm, in the midst of this challenge, in the midst of, you know, one of the worst pieces of, of, of news you could receive, you're going to jail, and then you're before all these important people having to answer for yourself. In the midst of all of this, their response is simply to preach the gospel. There was no left, nor right about it. It was preach the gospel. This was a statement of faith on their behalf. So if you thought an angel walking into your living room was awesome, I would. I mean, if we now take down and break down in a little bit more detail the things that they just said in this statement, this statement of faith, it outweighs the awesomeness of an angel. Um, so, so consider, even just to run back over the scripture, the God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus lived, died, and was buried. But the God who parted the Red Sea, the God whom did so many incredible things in their history, who they take great pride in, they love, or they claim to love, raised Jesus from the dead. As if to say, look, you guys had everything against Jesus Christ. You claim that he was, you know, you claim so many things about him that were completely untrue. You claimed him to be a blasphemer, but God raised him from the dead. He was dead, and you saw him die. Now he's alive, and you know that his body is nowhere to find. That's another elephant in the room um, that, they were, that they were skirting around. And then just beyond that, to whom you kill by hanging him on a cross, Jesus exalted, so God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. You know, so imagine now, Every record of wrong that you hold in your mind, every ounce of guilt that you've felt, I know we all feel guilt, whether we claim to not care about the things we've done wrong or not, there's all, in every single one of us, is a feeling of something. Um, but imagine every record of everything you've ever done wrong, potentially removed, completely clean, a blank slate. You know, being considered by God innocent and blameless. And that was exactly what Peter preached. You know, he preached the gospel. He preached Jesus is risen and there is a new life for each and every single one of us. On the one hand, to the, to the Sadducees and to the, to the high priests and so forth, this is, you know, as I read it the first time, I thought, wow, that's a harsh message. He didn't hold back. He, you know, he was full on. But that's a message of love. Like he's saying, look, you guys are guilty, but... This was done so that you can repent. Now, you have an opportunity right here. And in that room, every single person had the opportunity to make a decision. You know, and again, being putting yourself back in Theophilus's shoes, what a, a thing to read. Challenge after challenge after challenge, difficulty after difficulty after difficulty. And he's thinking in my head, is this legitimate? You know, am I in the right faith? Am I following the way? Is this some creepy, weird cult or something? Or, you know, am I doing the right thing? And he reads this. And he's reminded of this truth deep down inside that Jesus died for his sins. And that was why he made a decision to become a disciple. That's why he made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. But I mean, in the day-to-days of life, it can become so easy to be frazzled and to lose perspective. 
Instead of thinking in a difficult situation, let me preach the gospel. In a difficult situation, I can begin to think, let me pull back. Let me deal with it in the best way in which I know how to deal with stuff. Let me hold back and let me spend less time in a fellowship and more time in Senyo's world. Let me decide not to take time with brothers. Let me decide not to confess my sin, but let me spend more time in these work assignments and projects because these are the things that can easily easily remove the amazingness of the gospel. Um, And the last maybe three weeks have been an interesting period at work for me. And I have been, I have had peaks and troughs in terms of workload. And I look back at some of the troughs and I think, man, I should have done more to prevent the peaks. But either way, when the peaks come, they come. Um, And about two weeks ago, I had so much information in my head in, so in the in the in the four rivers region uh, kimberly and i lead the the, the the young professional singles group and <clears throat> i'm thinking of so I, I had a deadline for that thursday or for the friday or whenever it was and i had my work projects to do i was also thinking about getting times with the guys and you know thinking of different ways in which we can uh, continue to share our faith with the community and engage lots of different people, as well as getting to midweek in good time and doing other bits and pieces. And my head was so filled with information and things to do. And I, was, I felt like I was focusing on so little, but doing so much. And my focus was nowhere near in the right place. Um, but in this, I, I took some time with, the, with one of the guys in the Four Rivers. So this is the west side of London. Um, so just like how you guys have the Birmingham church is the West London or the Four Rivers church um, and a guy called Barney and I was just trying to explain to him the mess that was in my head because um, that's the only way I can describe it it wasn't it was just mess and it didn't make much sense to him but in the midst of that conversation came up this theme of hold on to one of the promises of God like clear out everything else in your head like literally take a moment and just let it go and I hold on to one thing. And in that, I chose to hold on to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And he'll take care of all things. So literally, it was like, okay, I, I'm imagining a white room. <laughs> and I'm just thinking, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Because when I think back to the parables of the soils, the things that stop the, the, the shoot from coming up, the, the things that, the deceitfulness of wealth and different things of this life, the thorns... If we don't choose to seek first God, then those things will choke us. It's not a question. It's just a matter of time. And I know for me, for sure, I can't dispute what was creeping up and what was surrounding my neck. Um, And, you know, I I kind of felt when I got in, after having this great time with Bonnie, Kim and I were chatting, and I just felt like I didn't want to explain the mess in my head. And I just had this, I'm going to just seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. I'm going to do my few bits and pieces. I'm going to get to bed. And in the midst of that, I didn't get the opportunity to explain stuff fully to Kimberly. And she was sharing with me lots of great stuff and insights and bits. And, and I was just like, oh, that's even more information. <laughs> um, but I appreciate her heart to desire to help me and to, 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 to serve me in that manner to, by leading me back to God. But it was such a powerful experience to truly give up every burden on my mind to Jesus. And I say that not in a, in a highfalutin theoretical manner, but genuinely it was such a relief. Like, I'm going to bed, I'm not thinking about any projects, any deadlines, I'm not thinking about 
anything other than seeking first God. And I went to sleep with that thought and I woke up with that thought. And for the first time in the eight months we've been living there, I haven't gone out to have a quiet time outside or to, to pray outside during, on a weekday at all in the eight months we've been living there. That morning I went out and I said, I'm going to wake up to go out and have a great time in fellowship with God. And then other things will fall into place around that time with God. And that, for me, was revolutionary. And it generally felt like a, a period of repentance. Because it wasn't just that Friday. It was the Monday, the Tuesday, pretty much all of last week, apart from Thursday. And it truly felt like a, a turning around. Because previously, I would wake up thinking, okay, I have to get to work by X time. That means I have to, and I would kind of reverse engineer the process. So that means I have to wake up at this time. I have this amount of time for you know, prayer time and quiet time. And then I have to eat breakfast and then get bits and pieces and... But this completely, the morning ran in a similar manner, but I was so much more engaged in that time with God in the morning, in reading my Bible. And I took the opportunity to be creative around that aspect and add novelty rather than thinking, when I get to work, I have to. Um, simple, but from in my head at the time, it was so revolutionary based on just one simple prospect, seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. And so I have like a new mantra from that experience, which is just keep it simple. Faith was designed to be simple. It was designed to be super simple. You know, I, I can imagine you know, the, the Apostle School of Missions. That's like, guys, so what do we do when we face challenges? You know, we preach the gospel. All right, so what do we do when people want to kill us? All right, uh, you, what do we do? We preach the gospel. You know, what do we do when we're feeling discouraged and we're feeling down? We preach the gospel. What do we do? You know, I can imagine you being in that class, you know, discipleship 101. <laughs> um, and the answer to every question is simply to share the good news. Um, but when it comes to, to simple acts of faith, I think an, another really important thing to pray for is for God to be with us in everything that we do. Because in a simple act of, there was a, this, was just, this was before that period, actually. Um, I, I, was, I had my quiet times, and I was studying out humility. And something inspired me, both Kim and I, to, to begin to share our faith on the train, on the, way, on the way to work. So talking to the people to the left and to the right of us, just saying hello. And God really moved in that. Because we weren't moved because, you know, we want to speak to 15 people. But it was more a case of we were led by God in humility, because that's one of the things that stops me from sharing the good news with people. This pride of, I haven't set up this situation properly, there's nothing we have in common, no, he's not reading economics books, so I can't really speak to him, or, you know, he's, or he looks this way, or he is that way, or whatever. Um, and that stops me, that holds me back. So in that study, decisions were made. And so one morning, Kimberly speaks to a guy next to her called Chris, and he comes to Bible Talk, invites his, his brother and his sister-in-law, and they all came that the, the following day, I think it was. Um, and then there, there's a lady, uh, I won't say her name, but there's a lady that came along to Bible discussion as well, and she's now studying the Bible um, from discussions on the train. There's probably about four different guys I speak to regularly whenever I see them in the morning. And all as a result of simply learning something from the scriptures and deciding to trust in God in that. But the reason I say we must pray, because faith works. The things will happen when you act in faith. 
but then you have to follow through with those things. Because then there came a, a point where I'm getting on the train in the mornings and I have stuff to do. <laughs> uh, I'm thinking of deadlines. I'm thinking of the things I need to fulfill before nine o'clock where I had the first meeting. So when I see the guy that I've been speaking to for the last few days, I'm kind of like, oh no. <laughs> he gets off pretty close to where I get off. And if we begin a conversation, it is not going to stop. And I got stuff I want to do. <laughs> um, and then it became this whole new challenge of there are so many people now that we can walk down the street and say hi to that it distracts me from doing senior stuff, stuff that is about me and is about how I want to run my day and is not necessarily stuff that is of a priority to God. Um, so that in itself was another period of repentance in, in the last couple of weeks, desiring to see people in the morning rather than think, okay, Tomorrow is a good day, but today is not a good day. So I don't want to see that guy today because I know that he talks for a little while. Um, and you know, and because of that, I look in hope for these guys. Um, there's one particular guy. So please pray for this guy. I won't, again, I won't say his name, but um, we've had such great spiritual conversations on the way into work. He's a guy from Newcastle, moved down to London, um, and. I think he, he views things so simply because he doesn't have a particularly religious background. He has, uh, yeah, I went to a, a faith school. I don't really know much about God, but I do think about God. Um, and he makes discussions so basic and so simple for my heart even that I, I really do hope for him. So we've invited to Bible discussion a few times and he trains for football on that same day. But I believe that if I ask him the next time I see him, do you want to study the Bible? And for me, that takes faith <laughs> to say, by the way, do you want to study the Bible? Do you want to meet up on, on Saturday? We can maybe play some table tennis. And you don't say that to guys <laughs> on the train. Like, do you want to meet up to study the Bible? Um, but that takes faith. And that's something I look forward in faith to doing. Um, but when we, when we take this simple approach to faith, we must pray to God to sustain us through the things that he has in mind. Um, but one character that I find very interesting in this story is Gamaliel. Because in this story, you have the disciples or the apostles who are completely in submission to God's desire for their life. That they preach the word and that they are faithful to God. And on the other hand, you have the Sadducees and the, the high priests and their associates, and they are completely not in submission to God. They are against God. The, the, the gospel makes them angry. And then you have Gamaliel, whom his doubts are evident on the page, but he chooses not to go all in with the apostles, and he compromises. He ends up somewhere in the middle. And I guess as we all read this story, whether we are disciples for many years, two days, whether we're reading the Bible for the first time, whether we're religious and have some sort of religious context um, and you know, trying to get a deeper understanding and insight, regardless of where we are, we all still have this decision to make before God. Do we reject it completely? Do we go all in or do we land somewhere in the middle? Because when you're in the middle, you're still in this camp of rejection. Because when the gospel is believed and truly believed, everything changes. Everything changes. And what a reminder to Theophilus that everything changes. Even in the face of persecution, everything still changes. You don't go back to old ways. In fact, you drive closer to these new ways. And again, through the book of Acts, persecution from outside of the church doesn't hamper it. It makes it stronger. 
It was a persecution within the church that made things difficult. But those things made them stronger. Um, so Gamaliel, so he was one of the most reputable Jewish teachers, and the gospel message led him to doubt his own views. You know, and in this sense, everyone was convicted by what happened, but there were so many different reactions, and his one meant that through his acknowledgement of the elephant in the room, people were persuaded to let them go. And we don't know what happened to each and every single individual in that scenario. But what we do know is that the message of the gospel, in my view, fulfilled Luke's purpose in writing this. Let me just run back to that. I I love reading that to remind myself about why it's so important to be in God's words. You know, it says, so that you may know the certainty of all the things that you have been taught. So I I think a great question is, is, out of those three profiles of characters, who do you want to be? Like, who do I want to be? Because if I want to be like the apostles and my life does not look like the apostles, not to say that because you are persecuted, that makes you an apostle, and if you're not, you're not. But the faith that the apostles had, if my life doesn't look like the apostles, I think that there are two great great questions um, that I'll pose to you to ask yourselves because these are the questions I'm asking myself as well. Um... So first of all, you know, what simple promise of God can I hold on to to inspire me to move in faith? Because faith is certainty in what is unseen. And if, there's some, if there is some promise of God that you can hold on to that leads you to action, so you act because of that promise, that is faith in action. Um, and then the second question is, who can help you with that? I needed help even to come to that realization and Kimberly helps me on a daily basis. There are so many brothers in, in West London and out and afar that help me in that on a daily basis. And I need, need, need help. I don't think there's anyone who's exempt from that need. Um, so if you're, even if you're visiting with us today, even if you don't know many people in this room, I think you have to really carefully consider the elements of this story. And you have to make a decision. By not making a decision even, we make a decision. And that is a, you know, take that thought away and consider the extent to which you want to know why these guys were so passionate and why they were so influenced by this gospel of truth. Um, so, I guess, in summary, please take the time to continue to read through the book of Acts because it's such an inspiring account of the church. And that's how a church is to look. Um, the context changes, but the principles and the message is exactly the same. So in, in summary, there's, we, we will all face challenges in our lives. Some may be going through challenges right at this very moment, but all challenges exist with purpose and have meaning to them for the very, very, for the only mission of bringing glory to God. And if we investigate into God and who He is, we will find meaning and we will find significance in our challenges. And also, let's pursue a simple faith. Let's pursue a faith that says, I will be obedient to God and to his word, and I will trust in him. Because that faith results to eternity. That changes everything beyond the allotted time that you can even consider. Um, 
So that was, that's the sermon for today. And I, I really, again, I'm just so grateful to be back here. I'm, as I'm looking around, I'm just seeing so many smiling faces. And I'm remembering so many cool stories and memories and so forth. And I am, I'm, I'm so happy to be up here. I'm so happy, not for the sake of, 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 of being up on a high pedestal platform or whatever, but for the sake of being able to share these thoughts with you all. Um, so, and I, I do have a brief message from James and Shakira and Temi. Um, they wish they could be here. They have other commitments, but they are doing great. Um, so please talk to the rest of the group and see how we're all doing. Um, James said to share that he is so moved by what God is doing in the families of so many other disciples like Jemima's and other people's that he is more passionate than ever before to reach out to his family. And he's, he's had some breakthrough conversations with even people that we went to university with three years down the line about their faith. Um, and Shakira is doing great as well. She sent, told me to, to say to you all that she is loving the full-time ministry in the East and God is teaching her so much about unconditional love and what that means. And she is growing and she is enthused. And we had the privilege of hanging out with her and Jack. She's dating. She's dating a brother called Jack Legon in the East. Had the privilege of hanging out with them and Andy and Tammy. And um, yeah, London sends a lot of love to Birmingham. Um, so thank you all for listening. It's been such a, again, a pleasure. And I look forward to catching up in the fellowship. So, have a good afternoon. Please, let's show, show our appreciation once again to Senior for that. Thank you so much, bro. Uh, as, a, as a treat, we're going to sing a song that you know, the, the London churches have been singing already. It's called Here Am I. Uh, you can choose to stand or sit if you want to, but it's uh, quite easy to catch. And the chorus is, uh, is, is very easy to catch as well. So, um, so choose whether you want to stand or sit. Oh, let's all stand then, I see. We can all stand for this one. And we're going to do it in a, in a reggae style, I think. Here am I, Lord. Here am I, send me. Here am I, Lord. Here am I, send me. This is much to do. What can every hand? I can cry for help comes. I ring it through the Jesus calls for us. I must actually be ready at the beginning. Here am I, send me. Here am I. Here am I, Lord. Here am I, send me. Here am I, Lord. Here am I, send me. Here 
service. Thank you so much for coming. Hope to see you again next week. Uh, don't forget, parents, to pick your children right now, because we've got a time schedule right now. We've got to leave as soon as we can. Um, but there's teas and coffees downstairs, so don't just run off. Have some fellowship, teas and coffees, but be aware of the time. Thank you.